You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. What's up, everyone? Thanks so much for tuning in to the weekend edition of the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Here's a great clip from a conversation between Real Vision contributor Jason Buck and renowned author and professional trader Ewan Sinclair, breaking down the difference between inefficiency and risk premium and options and markets. Enjoy. You know, I think about a lot of things you talk about is the idea of inefficiencies versus risk premium. And so for people that aren't familiar with your work, what's the difference between inefficiency and a risk premium? An inefficiency is literally a wrinkle that exists. There's profit there because not enough people have noticed that it's there or not enough people can actually do the trade. So it's, it's literally like an oversight. Whereas a risk premium is literally you getting paid to take a risk someone else doesn't want to do. The example I've used before is if you see that there's $20 sitting on the street, okay, and for the, your younger viewers, there is this thing called money, which used to consist of little bits of paper that you would occasionally find on the street. So according to the, like, an efficient market theorist, the, the old joke, right, is, well, there can't be money on the street because otherwise someone would have picked it up. But traders know that that's not true. So we will occasionally see money on the street. If you see the money on the street and you always see it on Sunday morning outside of a bar, okay, that's an inefficiency. Because what's happened is someone's walked out of the bar the night before, they were reaching into their pocket to get their phone out, they dropped the money, they didn't notice it. So that's why that money's there. It's an inefficiency. It's literally shouldn't be there. It's there because someone else made a mistake and you're the first one to pick it up. If you see the money on the street because it happens to be sitting in the middle of a freeway, that's a risk premium. Other people have seen that money there and they've just decided that they're not going to go and pick it up. So risk premium can be there for forever. And if people can agree that it's there and just disagree because of their risk tolerance, whether it's worth going to get it or not. So a lot of things that people think are inefficiencies like that really aren't. They're just risk premium. So that's why, for example, you know, there's a, a variance premium on options. It's because options are insurance. And, you know, insurance companies charge a premium. They charge you more than something's statistically worth. And you say, well, to me, it's worthwhile because I don't want my house to, if it burns down, I don't want to be bankrupt. So you pay more than you should. And you consider that's perfectly normal. And that's basically what the variance premium is with options. Options tend to be overpriced because they provide a service, owning options is better than not owning options. So yeah, you're gonna to have to pay more than you really actuarially should for that. And speaking of the VRP, the variance rinse premium, this is what I really wanted to talk to you about is, you know, it oscillates over time, right? And sometimes it might be negative and, and that's just part of markets right. over the long stretch of time. And that's part of trading is, and that's maybe why you don't wanna systematically sell VRP is because there may be times when it's in and out of vogue or maybe in, in the negative state. So I'm curious how you think about the institutional players or people that are like non-economic hedgers and how they're affecting variance risk premium. Like I think about a lot of times, you know, Canadian pensions, the consultant comes and shows them a nice chart for the last 10 years, how selling VRP has made a lot of money, 
but the, but the consultants not thinking about the aggregate positions of these you know, funds that are running $200 billion, if five to 10% of their books start trading VRP and selling VRP, and now they're like crushing VRP before we have like the next sell-off. So once again, nuance, you know, VRP is there, but VRP can kind of be there and not there. I'm curious how you think about that in general. Yeah, people get very angry about the variance premium as well. Um, it becomes very emotional. It's, it's almost like evolution in that it, it's like the most obvious fact empirically about options. And it also makes people very angry. But if I say that options tend to be overpriced, I haven't said options are always overpriced, right? And they're not always overpriced by the same amount. And sometimes it's not the same tenor that's overpriced and so forth. But we have, as long as we have data on options, so I think the first options pricing book I know of was written in 1885. And that person mentions the variance premium. As long as we've known about options, this is an empirically verifiable effect. So is it smaller now than it has been? Yes. Is it smaller in the very short dated options, which used to have the highest? Yes. Is this likely to continue? Well, maybe. I don't know. It's We've got 100 years of data that says one thing and then two years of data that say another. You know, like anything, right, you can either say the world is going to continue to be roughly the way it was or this time it's different. And thinking that the world's going to roughly continue the way it has been is usually the bet to take because that's normally what happens. So, yeah, the, the variance premium, it's it's lower right now, and there are sort of structural reasons and customer flows that would make that sensible. Is that going to always be the case? I doubt it. On the other hand, that doesn't mean you're just going to keep pounding away at options, you know, and suffer through a five-year drawdown just because of that philosophical bias. So it's like, I definitely think the variance premium is a thing that will come back again but I'm not predicating my trade that I'm going to make tomorrow on the fact that it's always been there. Because right now, really, options don't look that overpriced. The way I think about it um, is a lot of times in, in, a, in an oversimplifying way. I think about it as like Minsky waves, right? As people really jump on the VRP train and institutions start pounding the VRP, right? It becomes, you know, sometimes VRP can go negative as we saw going into 2020. But then as soon as you have that sell-off, Right. And people get burned and people blow up. And then after that, the recency bias, right, it starts expanding again and everything. So it's just these waves of cycles like the the British philosopher John, John Gray said, we're always going from liberalism to barbarism. It's just like kind of those waves and you need the market to get flushed out to people think it's no longer a good trade. And then the VRP comes back. Is that like is that an oversimplification? Would you disagree with that? No, I think that probably almost has to be the way. Right. I mean, like you said, this isn't it, it's not a constant thing. It's always it's always been a time varying risk premium, right? So on average, they're overpriced, but that certainly it moves around. Um, it's a little dangerous, I think, to sort of make a direct tie between a big blow up event and what's going to immediately happen. Because if you think back to March twenty twenty, right, you would think after that, after a lot of short vol players got blown up the variance premium would blow out again, but it hasn't. And part of that's because, you know, these institutions had been winding up these institutional products and it takes time, right? They're, they're still getting money into those. So there's all these 
things coming together. It's just always a bit dangerous to sort of say cause, effect, they have to go together. There's never any one thing that drives markets, right? And people are always going to get excited about the reason the markets are doing this now is because of, I don't know, the one that was big a, a year ago, dealer, very, uh, dealer gamma exposure. Yeah. yeah, you know what? Of course that's an effect. We've known that was an effect for 20 years. They're better at measuring it now because we can get more data. But that's why pinning used to happen around expiration. That's just the same effect. But now we can measure it over a long, wider time period. But it's only one thing. It's not the only thing. And so it's people always... They want simple answers, right? They want cut and dried. What do I do if this happens? And the answer is always like, well, I don't know. Depends, right? And people don't like that. Depends is my favorite answer. I always think about it like uh, Anchorman. 60% of the time works all the time. Hey, if you like this clip, make sure you head over to realvision.com where you'll find the full interview between Jason and Ewan and so much amazing content from the biggest names in the world of finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.